Hey everyone, I'm Simmer, a student at Harvard University. And I'm Roger, a student at King's College London. And, and this, this is That Medic Podcast. Podcast. In this podcast, we spoke to Jacob, the co-founder of Accurex, a startup striving to improve communication within healthcare. Their software has been massively adopted across the NHS, working with over 6,500 GP practices, providing a range of patient services, from video consultations to instant messaging. In this podcast, we discussed the cost of poor communication, the role of telemedicine, and how to stand out in a rapidly advancing digital health market. I hope you all enjoy. Jacob, welcome to uh, that Medic podcast. You know, thank you so much for uh, for being on the show. Hi, Roger. Thanks a lot for having me. Brilliant. So, Jacob, you are the the co-founder of Accurex, uh, a communication platform within healthcare. Uh, just wondering if you could sort of explain to listeners, you know, how it all really started. Absolutely. Um, right. Let's go all the way back. So, we actually d- we didn't start out in communication. Uh, we started out on antibiotic prescribing. Um, it was around the time there was a lot of policy attention on it there was a government commissioned review on it um and we just you know saw it being this huge ex- existential threat to modern medicine which which it still is um loss of effect, access to effective antibiotics um and so we built a decision support program um for gp practices that's where most of the prescribing happens um that could also send advice to patients could also um, look at which antibiotics might be indicated, you know, look at their medical record, look at their renal function, things like that. Um, and so built quite a lot actually around this, uh, this problem. But after 18 months of continuously iterating on that product, realized two things. One, it was just really, really hard to get people to use it. Um, we were really struggling to get usage up. And two is that, you know, even if we could, and even if it then worked and helped reduce inappropriate prescribing, um, we didn't have great confidence by that point in ability to commercialize it. Um, if you ask anyone, is antimicrobial resistance important? They'll obviously say yes. But when it comes down to like how much budget or what incentives are actually in place to improve it, the answer is very little. It's this big externality, a lot, a lot like climate change and arguably climate change has obviously had a lot more focus um than than this issue has so we pivoted and that was back in september 2017 um we realized we needed to um find something else and there were some seeds in our product of uh seeds of product market fit or maybe even earlier than seeds but you know some insights we had um around um the value of being able to send messages to patients was was one. So this like witchcraft moment where GP would type a message, hit send, and it would go to their phone. Normally, they'd test it on their own phone first and into their medical record at the same time. And that was they, they, some of them just didn't believe us that, that we would you know demoing it for real. Um, so that was one. There was like a bit bit of a uh, you know excitement around that. Second was we'd seen. Users stop using us, and when we looked into why, it was because actually now one of their colleagues, let's say a nurse or pharmacist, was seeing a patient instead of a GP because the decision support had given them more confidence. And, and when we pivoted, that's actually what we thought we were going to focus on was that was that skill mix across the team. Um, when it spent what was meant to be three months um, ended up being more like five months in 
one GP practice. It was meant to be two. I ended up just focusing on one. With the goal of actually, like, can we build improvements and solutions that actually make the practice dependent on us? Not dependent for any sort of malicious reason, just dependent uh, on this new efficiency. Um, and so we spent the time building all sorts of hacky prototypes from how do they understand their demand and capacity to how do they manage knowledge in the practice, to how do they collect data from patients and streamline their appointment book. Um, day-to-day, it was just a lot of shadowing, shadowing appointments, shadowing the team on reception, um, a lot of really basic prototypes and then iterating. So even before writing any code, just using off-the-shelf products or doing things in spreadsheets and with post-it notes. Um, and that's where our, the, the, uh, our sort of bread and butter today came from. So one of those experiments was making it really easy to message a patient, um, partly from the, ins- the, the advice part we had of our antibiotic product. Um, and we thought, okay, well, instead of just letting people send advice for urinary tract infections and sore throats and, and bronchitis, let's let them send advice for any condition. So, so we had this notion of let's try and be routine. Let's not be like dental flossing, which everyone knows you should do, but never does because it's not routine. Let's try and be like brushing your teeth. Um, and did that, uh, scraped all of NHS choices it was at the time to get all this information. Before that, we were writing our own uh, advice for patients, which looking back, I don't know, well, I don't know why we did. So we yeah, scraped all of that, built that, and that's when it started to take off. And very quickly, we saw people using it for different things. So we'd gone out with, let's make it really easy to send advice to a patient at the end of an appointment. But actually, that quickly became um, sort of a, a secondary use case um, after just saying to a patient, can you book an appointment? Or I'm trying to get hold of you, can you pick up your phone? Or, um, you know, your script's ready to collect. And then, and then it got things got more advanced. So, um, we, you know, our users got more innovative. So saying your vitamin D is low, can you go to the pharmacy and pick, it, pick some up and, and, and things like that. Uh, so sort of reflecting back, you know, what sorts of things do you think you did well uh, with that sort of initial MVP? You know, was it the you know, simplicity of the products? Was it the specificity? You know, what are the key learnings from that whole sort of experience? In, in sort of reflecting and in hindsight, one thing that we did very well at the time is, um, yeah, kept that, that feature very simple. Now, I wouldn't say we were focused because we were actually trying to do 20 other different things and you know, see, see what really stuck. That almost like restricted how much effort we could put into to any given, any given feature. So um, I'd say the main sort of like product insights from that. So what, one of them is uh, what I mentioned of be routine. Don't, don't be sort of a niche, niche like edge use case, but something someone can use all the time. Um, one that we talk about a fair bit in the team is, is be generic. So don't build something just for sending advice, build something for messaging a patient. And then that l- allows people to innovate with how they use it. Um, another one that came out as, as we started to expand that was very much around um, reliability. So we spent basically all of 2018 making it more efficient, more reliable, more safe, more secure to send an SMS message to a patient. Like that was it. We, yeah, we added on the odd feature, like you can build templates, but very, very little change where most of our effort went into is like making it incredibly easy to set up and then, then easy to use. Um, so yeah, reliability was, was, was a big um, sort of learning and principle that came out of that. 
Um, and then, yeah, of course, simplicity. Um, we call it um, what we call it now is like earning the right to be more complicated. So you've, you've got to start with a simple version of um, something. There's a, there's a very good uh, it's Gould's law. It's called of a, a complex system designed from scratch will never work. It, the only way of building a complex system is to start with sample something simple and evolve on it. So um, we're big believers in that, partly because we've learned by building a complex system to start with, with antibiotic prescribing and, and it not working. Um, but yeah, we had that big focus, particularly on adoption and, and, and setup. Um, so I think you sort of mentioned reliability there. Um, when it came to sort of increasing adoption and, and getting commissioners on board, you know, what tended to be the main selling point? You know, was it the sort of reliability of the service? Was it the uh, simplicity of it? You know, what tended to, to sort of attract them the most and, and keep them engaged? I think reliability built up, you know, definitely builds up users' trust over time, but it's not what causes someone to try something out because you don't know something's unreliable until you've actually started using it and you've got to get someone using it in the first place. So what really got people using it, our biggest driver of growth by far was was word of mouth and referrals. Um, and so I'm sure reliability has a part to play in that, you know, if I – if I'm a user and I use it and I find it really reliable, then I'm going to go and tell you, oh, this software is great and it's really reliable. Um, but a lot of the benefits those users were sharing were around, in particular, time saving um, was, I think, the, the most commonly cited one. And then you get after that, you know, improved patient experience, being able to improve care. So things like rates of, um, say, compliance with... Uh, Blood testing for you know uh, blood tests for certain medication you know was was way higher and you, you get into like more niche examples like that. Uh, so what were the main challenges when it came to you know sort of implementing this service? Because I can imagine you you go to these practices and they probably don't want to uh, they've probably been you know using the same sort of service for the same the last 10, 20 years. So uh, you know how did you sort of change their mindset to, to to realize that you know this would be a much more efficient way of doing things? One of our insights from spending time actually was from what we were doing with antibiotic prescribing is we used to go and install in every single practice ourselves and then we'd generally have to go and demo first and then we'd come back to install and we'd have to go again to install on the computers we couldn't get in the first time and we could only do one practice a day because they wanted to do it at lunchtime. Um, and we just realized we could never scale something like that. Um, we've got this you know, saying in the team that field sales just kills innovation in healthcare because if you've got to go around every org and do you know, pitch and pitch and give training and everything, you, you can't have impact at scale. And so we we had this experiment at the beginning of 2018, which was, can we build the first self-service uh, product in healthcare? Um, and where I say product in healthcare, I mean, you know, that's actually handling patient data and integrated with the medical record. Um, and so we spent um, a couple of weeks building like a very early version um, actually, initially, we we it wasn't completely self service. We did like a a screen share and would like help them install, but remotely. Um, our big challenge was was um, trust and like how do we create trust? You know, we're just this random company they've never heard of on some random website. Who's going to install us and integrate with the medical records? Um, and after a week of trying to work out how we build trust, we got to the point of like we're not really sure, but let's just try it and see if see if it's a problem. Um, and lots of people had lots of questions about you know who we are and so on, but it was enough to get early early adopters excited, interesting, and uh, what we said to all all the practices, both right at the beginning and uh, and sort of two years later was download it, try it out, 
if it's not useful, you can uninstall it. Brilliant. So, uh, you know, you're trying to sort of address and improve uh, communication within healthcare. Uh, but my real question is, you know, how bad is communication within healthcare at the moment? And I suppose, you know, why is it so important that we really address it? So we think healthcare is a communication industry. Um, it wasn't 50 years ago. It was a knowledge industry because you'd go to a doctor and they would treat and prescribe and diagnose and do the home visits. It wasn't really delivered by a team. Now medicine is so much more complex. It's delivered by different teams and different organizations. And so their ability to communicate, that's where value is added in the system. You go and speak to someone on the front line, ask them what they did today, and it's made this referral, chased that thing up, got this information to a patient, coordinated care around that patient. Um, that's all of everything they're doing every day is communicating. Um, and if you go and look at when things don't go to plan and a test result gets missed or something doesn't get the right follow-up, generally it's because of a breakdown in communication. Um, so we think healthcare is a communication industry. Our vision is that everyone who's involved in a patient's care can communicate with each other, um, which is very uncontroversial. Nobody says, oh, that's a bad idea, um, but really hard to do. You've got legacy systems. You've got different organizations. You've got to get, try and get multiple organizations using the same thing at the same time. It's a big like network effects challenge. There's this huge opportunity, but it's incredibly hard, hard to tackle. We think if we can really crack it, not only can um, patient care be better, but staff will be a lot happier because nobody enjoys waiting on the phone to GP practice for half an hour to try and find out what someone's normal renal function is. Um, and um, the system will be a lot more efficient because you won't have to repeat tests or because you can get some advice and guidance instead of making a referral. Um, so it's, yeah, big challenge across the system, sort of widely acknowledged as, as a um, barrier in, in delivering really good care. Um, we've started in GP practices um, partly because that's where we, you know, that's where we were when we pivoted. But actually, it turns out it's the best place to start for communication because the practice is, a, is like the hub of a patient's care. They've got this ongoing um, responsibility for that that patient's healthcare, and every patient ever, uh, in the country uh, pretty much is registered at a GP practice, and not two GP practices or three, but at one GP practice. So you've got you know, that direct lookup, that direct match for every patient. Um, so that, yeah, that's what, that's why we start in general practice with it. Um, a lot of what we're working on now, you know, to date we've been doing a lot of communication between the practice and the patient. A lot of what we're working on now is actually communication between the practice and, and other organizations. So one way you've been, you know, improving communication within healthcare is via your sort of patient messaging service. Um, but also you've added, I suppose, video consultations now to your platform. So when did you sort of start to sort of go down that sort of route? So video consultation specifically is an interesting one because we, when we've looked at it in the past, we said, there's other companies doing it. It's not that exciting for us. Um, we like to go after unmet needs. We like to go after like unsolved problems um, rather than, um, you know, making something 20% better. We like to let people do something they couldn't do before. And that, that's one of our product principles. How we ended up doing it was at the beginning of March, we were speaking to practices about how they were not even responding to COVID, like thinking about responding to COVID. It was at the time when um, there wasn't widely reported community transmission and the main risk factors were having come from um, Northern Italy, um, parts of um, Asia um, and Iran. So we're talking to practices, they're worried about patients bringing the infection into the practice. They're worried about seeing those patients, giving it to other, infecting other patients. Um, 
And we asked about video consultations and, you know, they said, well, that that software doesn't work because the patient's got to have an app, a specific app or they've got to have an account. Oh, and by the way, we've got no webcams in the practice. We've got no headsets in the practice. We use Internet Explorer 10. I mean, they weren't so forthcoming with all of this. We obviously had to sort of dig into all this detail. So we were like, okay, well, actually, there is an unmet need here. This was on the Friday morning we were researching with practices. Friday lunchtime, we decided, well, let's try and build something. It might be a massive distraction, but it might be a, you know, an opportunity to really help. Worked on that over the weekend, and Monday morning, released the f- tested the first version in around 50 practices. Monday afternoon, um, released it nationally. So we're actually um, quite fortunate in that a lot of the infrastructure we already had was in place, you know, in terms of sending the message to the patient, the integration with the medical record, things like that. Um, and it was just, we plugged into a third-party service providing uh, video. Um, now, why I say video is really interesting is like, we're not actually that big believers in its ability to transform how healthcare is delivered, right? It's, it's synchronous. You're not saving time over, for, for the um, practitioner over, doing an appointment. It might be a bit shorter, but you know, there's a load of faff that comes to setting up video as well versus, say, messaging, which is asynchronous, and you can that lets you do much more interesting things like see a patient, you know, try an intervention and actually follow up with them, you know, in 48 hours or whatever. Interestingly, so, so where, where has video been really useful? Well, when you, when you talk to practices, they say, well, they used to say rashes, and we built photo, uh, the ability for patients and photos. They don't say that anymore, but it's like if, if a parent's worried about an 18-month-old and you want to you know, do an end-of-the-bed test over video, if um, it's more of, a, say, a mental health consultation and you want to read body language, then, then it can be valuable or build rapport. Interestingly, when you speak to patients, they find it incredibly valuable. So they say, you know, I've actually seen my doctor or seen my nurse or, you know, I've, I've seen someone, which they don't get over the phone. Um, but I don't think... Um, the system and you, you know the um, healthcare pro- uh, healthcare providers um, really realise that. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I think it's going to take a while for that patient expectation to sort of percolate through. So yeah, video is an, an interesting one in, in that sense. Um, what we've actually seen take off a lot more over the past few months, um, and we built also in response to COVID and practice having to work remotely and and things like that, is patients being able to respond to things, remote monitoring of patient symptoms. Um, patients being able to send them photos, practices being able to send documents to patients. Um, and those things have actually had, I think, much more impact um, in a lot of senses than uh, than video. Um, so within sort of telemedicine, you know, where do you think there's the most potential? I think where there's a huge potential that's in no way specific to COVID and will continue is around asynchronous messaging um, because it allows you to very easily involve colleagues and things. Um, it's very convenient as a patient because you can do it outside of sort of working hours. Um, it smooths all your demand capacity because it's um, asynchronous. Um, it lets the patient spend more time writing up, you know, let's say their ideas, concerns, and expectations, or um, it lets um, healthcare practitioners really easily link to other resources. So there's so much untapped potential, I think, in in that. So if we're looking at that as part of telemedicine, then I think. That's really exciting. Um, but I think video people are, um, you know, there was a lot of excitement around. It got a lot of attention politically at the, you know, the beginning of the COVID response in March. But a lot of people are starting to realize it's not miles. It doesn't offer, you know, miles more than the phone does. 
but also has a lot more complexity than the phone does. Uh, now, the the sort of healthcare communication market, uh, I suppose, is becoming you know increasingly more competitive. Uh, so, how did you really go about you know standing out in the space? Every, every bit of communication um, that flows through our system is tied to a patient. Um, so, I think a lot of the communication products out there that have built sort of very like user friendly, um, nice products. So I'm thinking, of, for example, a lot of the um, messaging apps um, like Medic Bleep and, and Panda and Hospify and things like that and Silo, the the patient is like a secondary concept. But actually, if I'm messaging you, I'm messaging Raja. Whereas in our system, you're messaging about a patient and you might assign something to to, to Raja. So um, I think that's that's one big difference. And it, in that sense, you could say it's closer to a medical record. Um, but obviously, a medical record isn't really a communicate. It's not a real-time like communication tool. It's much more of a documentation uh, tool. Um, so I'd say that's one of the biggest like standout elements in terms of how we think about products. I think so much of it comes down to like we obsess over spending a ton of time with our users. Everyone in the team has to go out and spend time with users, you know, regardless of their role. Even during COVID, where we haven't been able to do that, we've everyone in the team is on. Either user testing and user research calls, or we do yeah, every week. We have a whole team call um, with a couple of users where we we'll go through different questions, different user research. We did that actually every day earlier on um, in the pandemic. A real obsession with that reliability and with making it work on old devices, slow devices, um, you know, devices with lockdown admin privileges and things like that. Um, we've got a we've got a, a desk in the corner of the office that's set up to look like a GP practice with a slow computer and um, you know, clunky keyboards. And like, that's how a lot of people are using our software. So we, you know, we, we obsess over that level of, like, kind of user empathy. Um, I think that, that's a big part of it too. So this software is really you know, improving the, the accessibility of healthcare resources and healthcare information for patients. Um, you know, do you think it would ever come to a point where you know, this, this sort of service you know, might even replace you know, electronic health records? Um, it's really funny to ask because that's exactly how we describe it. So we we think that um, medical record today is basically what was on paper on the screen. I saw Roger, he had these symptoms. I think it's X, I prescribed Y. Um, and there's no way to interact with that, to follow up on that, to create goals for the patient in that, or to assign something to someone else. Um, whereas actually, and you've seen this trend in lots of other industries, they move from a system of record to a system of engagement. Um, that's going to happen in healthcare. We think the communication record will subsume the medical record. So if you, let's say you, you see a complex patient and you're trying to figure out what's going on, what do you do? Oh, you go and look through all their clinic letters with the hospital and you try and piece together the different investigations they've had, the different medications they've been, you know, that have been tried. Um, and actually, if we can capture all the communication that happens both with a patient and about a patient, then hopefully we can build like the most holistic um, picture of what's going on in their care. Now, that's not going to replace the medical record. You still need to have a way of putting sort of that higher level of detail around documenting their obs observations or, you know, documenting prescriptions and things like that. But so much, you know, healthcare is really, really messy. Um, and so much of healthcare is, you know, I've, uh, you know, had this referral here, but actually I need it moved to there because I'm also being seen, seen by someone there for this other thing. And humans are amazing at dealing with that mess, but they don't have the sort of tools right now in, in healthcare to, to do that easily other than calling up a switchboard or, or sending a letter. So, um, yeah, we think 
communication will subsume the communication record will subsume the medical record. Um, it's going to take time, and and it also is going to need. Um, you know, we've got to build those network effects first. So, what we're really trying to build is the first platform that will have as active users, patients, GP practice staff, and then also staff in hospitals, community, community pharmacy, um, mental health providers, MSK providers, like all these other organisations. Right now, there are very few. Um, products in the space that even have users in two of those um, groups, um, let alone multiple, even that have engaged patients and healthcare professionals. There are very few products that that have managed to crack that. Um, So it's quite a big challenge we've got to overcome first. So Jacob, it's been an absolute pleasure having the podcast today. Uh, but before you go, I'm just wondering whether you had, you know, three sort of tips uh, that you could give to students who are interested in setting up a digital health startup in the future. Firstly, I'd say um, obsess about spending time with your users. Like you can never spend too much. And I think, you know, I'm really proud of our team and the fact that um, everyone in the team like enjoys it and like would rather be doing that than, than other things. And I think that's what's contributed to, to really building good products. Um, so yeah, spend loads of time shadowing, drilling into their needs, things like that. Second would be really, really focus on the problem, not the technology. Um, there's so much hype in health tech. I think one of the reasons we've been able to grow fast is that um, we've actually built something embarrassingly simple, but just got it to work well, but gone after a very specific problem, um, communication more broadly now, but initially just practice communicating with a patient. The third, third one um, would really be let your users innovate. So I think there's so much um, tech in healthcare that constrains what people can do. And um, because people are trying to build, you know, wizard-esque workflows that d- does everything for you. But uh, the healthcare workforce is just unbelievably innovative, never cease to be amazed by it. And actually, if you can build a product where they can come up with great uses um, that, and you can incorporate them back into product, then I think you'll, you'll be able to innovate much, much faster and build a lot, uh, you know, have much more impact ultimately. Jacob, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show. You know, I, I really do appreciate it. No worries. Thanks a lot for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Hey guys, I really do hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you did, I'd really appreciate if you could give us a rating on Apple Podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with all the links in the description below. Uh, but also, we are now hiring, so please feel free to reach out to us at info at thatmeditnetwork.com and we'd be more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Until next time, thank you so much for listening and take care.